0: Welcome to the MacArthur Memorial Podcast, where we explore the life and times of General of the Army Douglas MacArthur and delve into the history of World War I, World War II, and the Korean War. Today we're here with Lynn Heidelbach, curator at the U.S. Postal Museum, and we are going to be talking about V-Mail. What is Uh, V-Mail?
1: V-Mail was a system that operated during World War II. It was introduced by the United States And it was a way to help um, people communicate um, without infringing on some of the other needs for military uh, supplies during the war. So it was really a specialized kind of correspondence for the overseas military. So it encouraged people to write letters frequently um, to and from home to military no matter where they were deployed in the war and, and in the world. And it did so by reducing the size and weight of the mail piece. So it did it by two options. The first was a sheet of paper that was lightweight, and standardized and so sometimes that was sent overseas because it was light enough to go on an airplane and it was also microfilmed and so that would drastically reduce the size and weight because they could get almost 1500 letters on a reel of film and send that uh, Mm -hmm. by airplane overseas and it would be processed and somebody would get a letter within about two or three weeks depending on where
0: they were in the world. And that was pretty fast.
1: That was pretty fast. It really was a equivalent to the standard first-class mail that was being shipped to the soldiers, sailors, and marines wherever they were deployed in the world.
0: Now, was the United States the first country to adopt this type of mail system?
1: It was the second, so the British had developed a system called the AeroGraph um, about 1941. They introduced that uh, particularly to help with mail uh, stream services uh, around the Middle East and their troops that were stationed around the Middle East. Okay, so the United States was second. Yeah, and they use pretty much the same kind of system. They they copy the forms that the airgraph used the same size, and it's about equivalent to our eight and a half by eleven piece of paper, because it was all made to fit into a microfilming machine. So the British had used a Kodak Recordac machine, which was um, a microfilming machine that banks often use to mm-hmm. store their information. And so the U.S. adopted the same um, Kodak technology, and so they needed the same sort of standardized paper. The big difference is almost the way it looks. The Americans chose to use a bright red color so that it could be seen while it was traveling in the mail. So the postal workers and the military postal workers could grab out a V-Mail and um, process it differently.
0: Now, can you walk us through the process of how you actually create the V-Mail?
1: Yeah, so um, it it starts with the consumer, and you have to get them this specialized stationery. And so they did it by um, having the stationery free at post offices. And people, no matter where they were in the U.S., could go and pick up a couple sheets of V-Mail at their local post office every day. So you could go and get some free stationery. It was also, uh, stationery was delivered freely to uh, the military personnel who were overseas. And so you have to get them the specialized stationery so they can use the system. And they had no cost barriers to it. So now you get the consumers um, using it. You convince them to use it by doing a lot of um, promotion and propaganda and telling them that, it's it's easy to use it moves just as fast as your regular mail but you're helping the war effort because by using v mail it means that your mail can go on an airplane rather than by ship and so many more things can go by ship so you can put um, weapons and uh, medicine you can put food on the ship but we're We can also now put your mail on an airplane. So that's really important to say. How is this mail being transported? And what was going on was that it would go to central uh, locations in the U.S. and it would be processed there. It would be uh, microfilmed, and then that microfilm would be shipped overseas to a receiving station. And there were um, over 100 stations around the world uh, that were military post offices that were processing V-mail and there they would print out um, from the microfilm they would print out small forms of the letters and it was about a quarter of the size of the original and that's what would be delivered and so the beauty of sending it by microfilm was it drastically reduced the size of the, the mail and the sacks and sacks and sacks of mail that would have um, gone. But it also um, meant that there was sort of this backup system of your, your mail being microfilmed, and so that was um, retained at the originating station, that your original copies were there until they had heard the copy had been made beautifully, it was ready to be delivered, and everything was okay. So it was not kind of an insurance policy as well.
0: Now, censorship of military mail has always been part of Operation security. How did censorship work with V-Mail?
1: So censorship was just for the deployed military, and that was an important part of campaigning about V-Mail. Everybody in the local hometowns were told that your mail is not going to be censored. Um, The civilian mail was not censored. And V-Mail, because it's being opened and being microfilmed, people had that concern. Somebody's going to look at my mail. Are they going to censor it? So it was always in the promotional ad campaign saying that we are not looking at civilian mail. We are only looking at deployed personnel mail. And that's a, um, an important point to make as well because this was mail that was just for the overseas uh, military. So um, military who were stationed in the U.S., their mail was not censored. And they didn't use V-mail either unless they were communicating to somebody an American abroad. So how it worked for censoring female was just the same as censoring any other kind of um, forms of male. Usually the first line of censorship was the commanding officer and they would read through the letter and really look for things that might be a security issue like where is the the unit moving to, how is the health of the unit, how many people are, are there, and that kind of information would be blacked out or cut out of a letter. And you certainly can't cut up a female letter because then it can't fit into the microfilm um, works
0: now did V-mail help with operation security in other ways could people use it to conduct espionage
1: they they could try as it they did with um, some mail as well um, but uh, that's why some of the use of of censorship was to try to to reduce any kind of espionage um, but what I think the best sort of security that VMO had was it, it was a backup system because you would have, if it was microfilmed, um, the microfilm would be sent overseas, and the station that had filmed all of that was holding on to the originals until they had gotten a message from the receiving station saying, We received the film, we've printed it out, looks beautiful, we're going to deliver it. Now, if they said we didn't receive this reel of film, then the sending station would go ahead and make a whole other new reel of microfilm. And this was a really helpful way to sort of give a backup system to mail because it was also going on uh, airplanes, which meant it wasn't going on to... Some of the the ships, and which were far more uh, vulnerable to U-boat attacks and any kind of attacks, Um, the aircraft and the air
0: air transport, was not as vulnerable. Now, initially, enclosures were not allowed. You couldn't send photos or other items with your V-mail. This rule is modified a bit, though, to include a certain type of photograph. Can you tell us more about this?
1: Yeah, and that photograph um, was printed onto the V-mail itself. And so it's not an enclosure, but it becomes printed onto that V-mail stationery okay. so that it could still be processed and be filmed so it could be turned into microfilm. and. What was going on was um, a couple of papers, particularly in Chicago, started this. And they provided a service for newborn um, babies and and their mothers. And they would take pictures of the baby and mother and send um, that photo in a V-mail, printed onto the V-mail, to the, the new father very likely has never seen the baby and that was the intent was um, to be able to to share that and sort of promote um, a community and of course family bond in this way
0: and that was the only type of of photograph that might end up Part
1: of v yeah, it was highly regulated. Um, if you put it in an enclosure, your v is not going to be sent mm-hmm. as V-mail. It probably would have; it would have should have been sent back to the sender, and you were supposed right. to take that out um, because it was not lightweight, so it couldn't go on an air transport. It was not acceptable to mm-hmm. have an enclosure because it couldn't get microfilms. So, right. um, mm-hmm. it was pretty. There were a lot of rules to using uh, V-mail, and it was printed right on the stationery of all the steps that you should um, follow. Another popular story about V-Mail is what was called the Scarlet Scourge, and that was where um, women would kiss the uh, letters in the V-Mail, and it was said that this would uh, gunk up the machines when it, once it was going through the microfilming machinery, and that all of their, you their know, bright red lipstick was getting and gumming up the works, and so um, a lot of the newspapers would tell women to please don't. Um, use your, your lipstick and, and kiss your, your female. Um, and it was, it was common practice, of course, to sort of kiss, and mm-hmm. it's, um, it's that sense that male has that it's a tangible piece of somebody that you've loved, is, has touched this, has put their hand to this paper, put their lips to the paper. Um, and so people would complain about female that it lacks some personality. Um, that they couldn't kiss it, that they couldn't put their perfume on it because it was then um, translated uh, into microfilm and somebody else was touching their mail before it got to the recipient. So there was a there was some hesitancy in using V-Mail because of that.
0: How many pieces of V-Mail were sent during the war? Was it a really popular program? Did it almost replace regular mail for troops overseas?
1: It was about even uh, of use. So if you think about it, that's pretty successful to um, really take things out of that heavy um, paper of first-class mail and um, needing to ship those thousands of pounds of sacks of mail. So by reducing that weight and and being uh, able to ship it in a different way, transportation network through the air transport, it was successful, but the numbers break down about the same, and of course, being um, the military and the post office, they're very interested in their numbers and statistics, and they have um, come up with a number about from that 1942 date to 45, where the female ran about a billion pieces of mail. female was exchanged.
0: A billion pieces. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and okay. about the uh, the same for um, for regular first class mail that was being sent overseas as well.
0: How does that compare to World War One? I? I mean, obviously there's no female in World War I, but did we see the same letter traffic in that war as well?
1: Yeah, you, you do. You, you have different numbers. You have a very different number of service members. So what World War II is over 11 million who were serving around the world um, from US forces, World War One, you have two million who end up um, overseas um, at the end of the war. And that's a very different buildup as well. And so the post office had some time to adapt and sort of the military to World War I um, volume of mail and figure out how to move that, that mail. But people were writing about the same frequency. It was just the, the number of troops that were moving overseas was at a different pace in World War I than it was World War II. And so that kind of changed some of the operations.
0: When did V-Mail as a program
1: officially end? It ended in
0: the fall of 1945, in November of
1: 1945. But it had really tailed off since the summer.
0: Now, the U.S. Postal Museum has a fascinating collection, and I'm sure you've seen lots of V-mail letters in your time here, but is there one in particular that stands out? Maybe something that's on display or behind the scenes in the collection?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's always a tough question to ask a curator at a museum is sort of, what right. is your favorite <laughs> object? I, I love it, and I always think about it, But what is it going to be, and um, I have to go with a couple. Um, And V-mail is a particular kind of correspondence because it forces people to write on one side of a page. So their letters tend to be very brief, and often they're almost like a postcard sometimes. And people will say... When I get a proper time to, set, uh, to sit down and write you a letter, I'm going to send you a proper letter. And so people's ideas about V mail were different than when they would be able to write you a six, seven page letter and put it in their personal stationery. Um, I, I'm going to go ahead and pick two. I love, we have one in our collection where it's um, an Army soldier who is in Italy, moving north through Italy, and um, he's writing back to his comrades at the fire station in Connecticut, where he had worked, and he's talking about watching the eruption of Vesuvius. And so I think it's just a perfect moment of connecting to that experience of um, sort of Brotherhood that he has, um, where he is now serving in the military and his job at home, and talking about these amazing circumstances he's in. He's not talking about the war, and you don't get many people that are writing a lot of war letters that are about battles, um, partly because of the censorship, but partly people are self censoring and not trying to distress people at home about the atrocities that they might be seeing or experiencing. So um, it's kind of a lighthearted moment, but you can also think about it's a, it's, it could be devastating to watch a, a volcano eruption as well. So I think it's a, kind of a fascinating metaphor of how he's dealing with what, what story is he gonna tell the people at home. So, okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll stick with that one. We'll keep it with one. Okay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> with so much V-mail sent during the war, uh, I bet a lot of people today have V-mail from their grandparents or great-grandparents or other relatives who served. Any tips on how to preserve those?
1: The climate is a really good um, starting point. To keep them in a dry and um, temperature situation that you are find comfortable is a great place to store your paper as well if your the v-mail is folded keep it in that folded format don't try to flatten it yourself Um, there are conservators that you can find um, online um, reputable conservators if you want to have the your v-mails sort of permanently um, flattened out so it's easy to access and always keep sort of the, the like together of you, know, you don't want to mix your your media of your photographs with um, your V-Mail. And that's an important aspect to think about is the V-Mail, the small format that was printed after it was microfilmed and then printed, it's actually a photograph. It's printed on photographic paper. And so you should treat that like a photograph and use um, the archival kind of materials that are for photographs.
0: Are there any other good sources about V-Mail?
1: Yeah, there's... Um, it's many, many of World War II anthologies of letters will include some v Now, some of them will focus on v or they will highlight that this is a V-mail, but sometimes you won't know. that it. If it's maybe a shorter letter in a collection, you'll know it's a V-mail. Um, so there are some people that do sort of specialize their anthologies on, on V-mails. Those are, are kind of fun to, to read and see the difference in the correspondence. Um, A book that I always turn to is called The um, Wartime History of the Post Office. So if you want to know everything that was going on about the post office and how the military worked together during the war, there's a great chapter in there about female, how the system operated, and uh, some of the numbers. And there's a self-published book that came out in 2007 by James Hudson. It's called Victory Mail of World War II. And James Hudson was a, a female operator in Egypt uh, for the U.S. forces, and he talks about that. He talks about really the mor- morale and motivation for the military to start up female, what it was like to be a female operator and what it meant to help get this mail through. And um, it's it's a great sort of personal memoir in that way about female.
0: Well, thanks so much for sitting down and talking with us today. you have got a fascinating collection and museum here, and we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Great to talk to you. Thank you for listening. If you have questions, suggestions, or comments, we want to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at MacArthur1880, on Facebook as the General Douglas MacArthur Memorial, or you can email Amanda.Williams at Norfolk.gov.